Just ahead on Black Issues Forum, the Omicron COVID variant. How concerned should you be? How North Carolina senators fared on an NAACP-led voting rights scorecard and time to place priority on your mental health. Stay with us. Welcome to Black Issues Forum. I'm Deborah Holt Noel. Just as we enter the holiday season with many looking forward to festive gatherings, here comes Omicron, the latest variant of the COVID-19 virus. President Biden this week announced it is not time for panic, but caution is in order. Here to give us more information about the virus, I want to welcome Dr. Julius Wilder, a gastroenterologist and assistant professor at Duke University School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Wilder. So good to see you, and thanks for coming. Uh, Great to see you as well. Thank you for having me. Reports are that Omicron variant is more transmissible than the Delta variant. What does that mean for all of us, vaccinated and unvaccinated? That's a that's a really important question, and I and I, and I think the key thing for everyone to keep in mind is that what we do on a day to day basis, even in the setting of this new variant, doesn't really change. It is still extremely important that we wash our hands, that we wear our mask, and it's still extremely important that you get vaccinated um, and your booster um, you know, at the appropriate time. Uh, it is certainly a concern to see these new variants come up. Uh, and we're always going to be sort of thoughtful about whether or not these variants are able to, so to speak, get around our vaccines. Um, and we're still doing research to understand more about that. Um, but in terms of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, it's still important to continue to maintain the same type of precautions um, and approach to our day-to-day -day lives that we've had to endure here over the last you know, two years almost now. Yeah, it has been a long time. So continue to wear those masks in, in uh, crowded conditions, hand washing, sanitizer, distancing uh, where, where necessary. But what do we know about the effectiveness of the current vaccines that are available um, against this new variant? Sure. So we are currently doing the research right now to understand precisely how well our vaccines protect us against this new variant. Whenever these new variants come up, they are you know, immediately beginning to do animal studies, and they also look at individuals, humans, that have been exposed to it to see how well they do. Uh, and, and so, Quite frankly, we probably have some significant level of protection against Omicron. The question is going to be exactly how well are we protected? And they're currently doing the research on that right now, and we should get more definitive information on that here in the next couple of weeks. That having been said, theoretically, um, it is possible that at some point in time, there may be new vaccines or changes made to our vaccines moving forward. And thankfully, with the new mRNA technology, even if we did need to think about new vaccines, we could probably do it fairly quickly, um, certainly much quicker than we've done in the past. Let me ask you about protection and how safe people currently are who've already gone ahead and started the vaccination process. Can you tell us a little bit about boosters? And um, if you don't get a booster, do you lose immunity? How does that work? Great question. So, you know, the vaccine essentially allows your body to create antibodies that will protect you from the infection. 
And we have found that you require two vaccines for most of the back for the, of the types of vaccines that are out there um, to be properly protected against the virus. In other words, to reach a level of antibodies that if you were exposed to the virus, you would not get sick. Uh, you may not even at all really get the virus. Um, now that happens. And that's been so said, key. I, I hate to interrupt you, but mm -hmm. so many people don't yeah. quite understand that you won't get the virus itself. Right. And, and, and thing is this, right? So there's there's really two scenarios of vaccines. They ideally they protect you from getting the virus at all. Um, but there is always sort of this opportunity for the virus to kind of get into your body. And if it does, if you do get it, you you're just not gonna get very sick. And a great example of that is if you look at individuals in hospitals right now and individuals over the last year or so in the setting of having the vaccines that have died, 99% of those individuals were people who were not vaccinated. Um, so what does it mean to be vaccinated right now? It means that you are protected certainly against the variant that has been really, really dangerous, the Delta variant, right? And so Omicron is new, but we have to remember that the Delta variant is still the main sort of culprit that's been driving COVID in the United States, in the world, quite frankly. Um, and so the, the vaccine protects you from Delta. Um, in terms of the new variant, the vaccine very likely will protect you to a certain extent from the new variant as well. And it may be fully protective. We're still doing the research to understand that right now. But what that speaks to the importance of is vaccination. And so if you have not been vaccinated, it's important that you do it. Uh, and that if necessary, if it's the time is correct, then you should undergo your proper booster shot as well. Oh, it just seems like there's so many uh, questions out there for trying to find a way not to have to get that shot. Um, and so far, we know that here in North Carolina, 71% of the general population has received one dose of the vaccine. 54% have been fully vaccinated, and that's pretty low compared to the nation. For black people, the rate of full vaccination is down around 50%. So why aren't those numbers higher, you think? Is this rate of vaccination making a difference in hospitalizations and deaths? It absolutely does. Um, you know, in those places where we have seen lower uptake of vaccination, we have certainly seen higher rates of adverse outcomes, uh, hospitalizations and deaths from COVID. And, and it's particularly bothersome to see certain populations not vaccinated, especially, you know, the African-American population, because from the beginning, we have to recall this disease, this infection was disproportionately impacting us from the beginning, uh, resulting in more deaths and hospitalizations in that population. Uh, and so it sort of is, is a double whammy, so to speak, because it has had a greater impact on us. And the best tool we have to protect us from it is something that we have been the least likely, you know, to take advantage of, which is vaccination. Uh, the vaccine hesitancy is still an issue. Uh, and we've got to be more thoughtful and creative in the way that we engage the African-American community and other marginalized and vulnerable communities to ensure that they have access to testing as well as vaccination for COVID. Well, Dr. Julius Wilder, thank you so much for clearing things up. And the, the lasting message is go ahead and protect yourself. Try to get that vaccination. Wash your hands, social distance, wear the masks. Thanks once again Absolutely. for being here and for your information. Thank you so much for having me. Have a wonderful day.
In November, a coalition of civil rights organizations led by the NAACP released for the first time a Senate scorecard grading each senator on their performance in Congress as regards voting rights. It came just one week after senators blocked the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. That vote has left many civil rights and pro-democracy organizations and individuals seriously concerned for the future of democracy and representation in our nation. Here to talk about it, I'd like to welcome Professor of Law Irving Joyner of North Carolina Central University and Mary C. Curtis, journalist with Roll Call and host of the Equal Time podcast. I'm so excited to have both of you with us. Professor Joyner, let me open with you. Uh, what have we seen transpire over the last several months on the effort to secure voting rights nationally? Well, nationally uh, in, uh, in Washington, we're at a stalemate. Uh, the uh, Senate uh, has uh, failed to uh, move forward on uh, either of the uh, two bills that are presently uh, before them. The House has passed both of them, the Freedom to Vote Act and the uh, John Lewis Voting Rights uh, Act. And uh, because of the uh, filibuster rule that exists now in the uh, U.S. Senate, uh, 50 uh, Democratic uh, votes uh, are not sufficient to move this legislation onto the uh, president's desk. And the uh, filibuster has become uh, the big issue and people are concerned that the uh, president and uh, the vice president have not been able to push, use their power to get uh, some positive response from uh, Republican members or from Democrats to change the filibuster rule. So it really does seem like a stalemate at this uh, moment. Um... Mary, you had a very honest conversation with the president of the Urban League, Mark Morial, as the league is among the coalition of civil rights groups that issued the scorecard. What did he share about why this scorecard was issued and what effect they expect to have? Well, I'm not sure that he or any of these other civil rights leaders believe that it will have an effect on the votes because so many of these senators do seem locked in. But, you know, he said that other organizations like the Chamber of Commerce, like the NRA, they do issue scorecards because it's so important to educate voters, educate citizens on where their leaders stand on these civil rights issues. And he says it's important because of what's at stake. He says it's democracy and the right to vote. And without the right to vote, we have no seat at the table. And as, as Professor Joyner pointed out, we have these laws all around the country they're attacking not just restrictions on voting, but how the votes are counted, which is very important. And we also see racial gerrymandering and partisan gerrymandering in states across the country, Texas, Ohio, and right here in North Carolina. You know, we gained a House seat, but a lot of it is because of uh, Black, Hispanic, Asian Americans moving in. But the way these gerrymanderings are going on in the Republican legislators, Republican-led legislatures, uh, these seats are, are not going to uh, give minority voters rights. In fact, they're going back in North Carolina to old maps uh, that they are proposing that courts have previously uh, thrown out because they said uh, they went after black voters with almost surgical precision. So expect to see some lawsuits. Uh, Republicans are saying it's about election integrity, but studies have shown there really is no significant voter fraud. And it's kind of disheartening because many of these same Republican senators had voted in the past to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act of 1965. 
And now it's become so partisan, they flip their positions. That's so key. You've hit on so much in, in that response. You know, first of all, talking about uh, the 29, in, in 2019, the lawsuits that were uh, won. Uh, with regard to gerrymandering, but now recently, uh, Professor Joyner hasn't. There was a, an effort to try to counter uh, the maps that were drawn, but that was um, defeated. A, a judge said, "No, we're not going to. We're not going to uh, rule on that uh, in favor of disallowing these maps." Can you tell us a little bit about that and where we stand with the the map drawing? Yeah, most most recently, uh, the uh, North Carolina NAACP had uh, filed uh, an action in the uh, state court uh, to uh, compel the uh, legislature to consider uh, the uh, Voting Rights Act and the uh, requirement that there be some equity uh, in the uh, redistricting process. And uh, the uh, court held that since the uh, legislature had moved forward and passed their redistricting plan, that this uh, action was moot. Uh, we are appealing uh, that decision now uh, to the uh, Court of Appeals and then ultimately to the uh, state uh, Supreme Court. But uh, as long as you allow uh, this, uh, I guess, kind of uh, caucus of uh, Republicans who are uh, hell-bent on uh, minimizing the opportunities for African-Americans and Latinos and other racial minorities uh, to vote by drawing lines that disenfranchise the ability of African-Americans uh, to uh, to vote, then uh, we're going to have this problem. And just a, a, a side point is that we, we gained a, a, a congressional district uh, in North Carolina, but the way that the lines are drawn, we are likely to lose uh, one of the two African-American legislators who had been uh, elected to Congress. Well, we know that... Uh, uh... G.K. Butterfield's already said that he's not planning to run again, um, and many think that that's partially due to the redrawing and, and how things have been skewed because of the redrawing. And as we mentioned, each senator received a grade. The grade uh, on this scorecard uh, was based on their votes on the American Rescue Plan Act, the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, the For the People Act, and their commitment to end the filibuster. And on this scorecard, both North Carolina senators, Richard Burr and Tom Tillis, each earned an F. Professor Joyner, each of these opportunities are seen as efforts to not only secure the vote, but ensure democracy. But based on recent actions uh, around the country, there's been sort of a movement, like Mary said, for this election integrity. What's the difference? Well, election integrity, as it is practiced uh, in the uh, various states, is designed to minimize the opportunity and to thwart efforts by African-Americans and people of color uh, to increase their uh, political power within the uh, process. Uh, on the other hand, when we talk about the uh, Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Advancement uh, Act, what we're looking for is the opportunity to advance and to expand opportunities for people uh, to vote and that those rights will be protected and honored at the state level. And as Mary said, uh, that the votes are counted at the end of the day. Uh, and this is a, uh, a deliberate ploy uh, to uh, take away uh, with a uh, catchy title, uh, the right uh, uh, to vote that we have fought for uh, for so many decades in this country.
Well, people certainly need to be paying attention. We only have a couple of minutes left, but Mary, you know, when you take a look at that scorecard and the information that's online, I actually was um, encouraged because it's so thorough and it provides some action steps, resources, and tools. What difference do you think that this scorecard will make? Well, as uh, Mark Morial said, it educates the voters and spurs them to action because, of course, people are uh, actually, they have to look to the voters. And we see folks like now we have Stacey Abrams is running uh, for governor again, and she has worked with her organizations to try to get people registered, to try to get them active. Uh, and as Mark Morial pointed out, the civil rights movement has been the conscience of the country, not just for minorities, but to make the country live up to its ideals. And he just emphasized what was at stake and harken back to what happened on January 6th where we saw an effort to have a coup, a takeover of the government. And he just wants to, you know, with the scorecard, but also with information that's coming out now to tell voters how close we were, how close we came and democracy is at stake. And when he says he's worried, he's seen a lot. Uh, and I know my own elder siblings, I have three older siblings that were involved in the civil rights movement who were marching for these same rights that people are still fighting for today. And so I do think right now it, it is trying to be a wake up call to voters, to their conscience, uh, and to see that, you know, he, you do bring up the filibuster as Professor Joyner did. And we saw Republicans and Mitch McConnell get rid of that uh, threshold to put justices on the Supreme Court. And many people and activists and others are saying, isn't the vote worth it? Uh, to make some accommodation for this filibuster. Even folks like Congressman and Majority uh, Whip Jim Clyburn, James Clyburn of South Carolina saying, you've got to do something because the vote is more important than anything. Absolutely. Well, I agree with you 100 percent. And the, the vote is critical uh, to our democracy. And the scorecard is very informative. People should check it out as well as your Equal Time podcast, Mary C. Curtis, uh, Professor Irving Joyner. Thank you so much for your time and your insights. Thank, thank you for having us. What's happening with our world health and our national politics are heavy enough. But we also know that just a week ago on Black Friday, there was a shooting at the popular streets of South Point shopping mall in Durham that injured three people. And now, just a few days ago, our hearts fell once again as an armed teenager opened fire inside a high school in Michigan, killing four students. Our sympathies go out to all of those injured and those left to mourn. We want to spend a few minutes now talking about the importance of finding peace, joy, and mental balance this holiday season. And I want to welcome Jason Phillips, the confidence therapist. He is a life coach, a therapist, a licensed clinical social worker, and unabashed counselor on Instagram. <laughs> uh, I love seeing your Instagram posts. Um, so encouraging and so truthful. You know, Jason, taking responsibility for your own mental health is so important, uh, but it's probably the last thing on the minds of a lot of black people, especially black men. What would you say are the top three most common and dangerous excuses for not seeing a therapist? Yeah, well, first, thank you, Deb, for having me. And as you mentioned, there are a lot of excuses that, you know, us as black men, we make. And in no particular order, I would say the first one is that we use the gym as our therapy. 
So we say, hey, I don't need to see a therapist. I'm just going to go to the gym, and I'll, I'll pump it out. I'll work it out. But the gym does not replace a licensed professional because, as you know, the weights don't talk back. So, you know, there's no validation there. The second excuse is that there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not crazy. So when we think, okay, that something has to be wrong with us, that I'm crazy, I mean, the National Alliance of Mental Illness uh, did a survey, and they reported that over 64% of African Americans felt that if they had to seek out mental health uh, resources, that something was wrong with them, and they were weak. That's so, that's so ahead, key, yeah. the whole idea of something being wrong with you. What's a better language for that? Uh, better language would be we need all need mental health check-ins and check-ups. So the same way we go to our doctor, or we should, you know, annually or biannually, we should talk to a licensed professional. Because as we get older, things happen to us. And you can't be an older person or go into our, our earlier or later years and still be fine-tuned without having a mental health checkup. So that's a different way of looking at it and take some of the stigma away from it. Mm-hmm. And I think th- I, I certainly know people who are in the nothing wrong with me category. What's another dangerous kind of excuse for not going to get that professional help? A huge one is that I'll just pray about it. Mm. Yep. That's a that's a big turn one. it over to God. And, yeah. you know, that's not taking anything away from spirituality or God or incense or anything else you got to do. But <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, there's, <laughs> there's something that, you know, what should you be expecting from that therapist? Well, the therapist is going to provide you with emotional support, attentive listening. So they're going to be listening to what you say and also validation with tools. So I remember vividly a friend of mine was going through a a very tough time and she put on Facebook that she was having thoughts of hurting herself. And 98% of the comments said, girl, just pray about it. Just pray. Talk to God. And I'm thinking... What if she's already been talking to God? Now how does she feel? Am I not worthy? Is God not listening? Mm -hmm. It sends a very uh, bad message when we just say, just pray it away. Yeah. And I want to ask you about, you know, those who might be thinking about getting a therapist. How important is it to um, find someone who shares your racial and or sexual identity? It can be very important. So I remember working with a a gentleman. He was a young black male. And when I pulled him from the lobby, he said, oh, you're my therapist? Oh, we're about to be lit. I mean, he was he was so excited. And this was before COVID. So I could see his facial expressions and everything. So one, I say two things the be comfortable with who you're working with. And that means as the client, I have to be comfortable with my clinician. And as the clinician, I have to be comfortable with my client. But then also, in addition to comfortability, we need cultural competence. So just because I'm comfortable, I also have to be competent, too. So meaning I need to know what my, uh, what my client's going through. And if I need to educate myself, ask the question. So I'm not saying that you have to see a black therapist if you're a black person. But make sure the person you're seeing is comfortable and make sure that they're competent to work with you. That's such excellent advice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about that skin color, but somebody who sh- who understands uh, the identity and can c- communicate and maybe has some of those shared experiences or is uh, well aware of some of those shared experiences. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's holiday time, busy time. What does dedicated quality time look like for true self-care? Because sometimes, like, look, I'm going to sit in my car for five <laughs> minutes behind the driving wheel and mm-hmm. do my prayer and I am good. You know, what does true self-care look like? 
Self-care, let me tell you what it doesn't look like first. It doesn't have to be a vacation. It doesn't have to be, you know, because we can't always just go to Miami or Jamaica. Self-care looks like setting healthy boundaries, meaning during this time of the year, you're getting pulled in so many directions. So self-care is saying, hey, I'm not comfortable with this or I need to reserve my, my mental energy and I can show up before a limited time only and being unapologetic about that. And in addition to that, setting boundaries, self-care looks like acknowledging how you feel. So many times we gloss over our feelings. We suppress it. We don't really want to lean in because we're afraid of that. And around this time, more than ever, with everything going on in the news, our loved ones we could be missing because of the holiday time, lean into those feelings. Journal, talk about it, and reach out to your support system. That support system is important, but it does not take the place of a licensed therapist. And can you explain, um, what is it that the therapist can do that your friends, your closest confidants can't and won't? So one, there's a dual relationship if you try to use your therapist or your friend as your therapist. So meaning, if you talk to your friend, maybe your friend gives you great advice, but now you're going through a rough patch and you don't want your friend to know about it. The therapist, you can talk to the therapist. The therapist doesn't know you outside of that therapeutic relationship. So now you really do have a place where you can put it all out there and not feel like it's going to come up. Or if you go back into a bad relationship, the therapist is not going to judge you. Where your friend may say, girl, you doing that again? I thought we, ta- I thought we talked about that. That's true. <laughs> and things like that can come back. You share with a family member and mm-hmm. they'll never forget it. Right, right. (laughs) Never forget it. Well, I wish we had some more time to talk with you, but Jason Phillips, thank you so much for your advice, and I hope that everybody will take that time for some self-care this holiday season. Thank you, Deb, for having me. I want to thank today's guests, and we invite you to engage with us on Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag Black Issues Forum. You can also find our full episodes on pbsnc.org slash Black Issues Forum or listen at any time on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. For Black Issues Forum, I'm Deborah Holt-Noel. Thanks for watching. through the financial contributions of viewers like you who invite you to join them in supporting PBSNC.